You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I'm your host, Josh Rayleigh, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a good one in store for you. I was able to catch up with Dylan Hazen. Now, if you don't know who Dylan is, just think back a couple of years ago to the THP interns. Uh, He was one of their interns a few years back, then got a job with Woodhaven Custom Calls right after his time with THP ended. And uh, man, he's been killing it. So he's been heading down to Alabama every spring to film and hunt with Mike Pentecost, which as you can guess, is a huge privilege. Uh, I went down to Alabama last year and caught up with Mike. He actually lives not too far from where we've got some family and was able to go take a look at the Woodhaven shop, check out everything that they're doing there, sit down with Mike, record a podcast with him. If you did not catch that episode, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to that. I think we called it something like turkey hunting then and now with Mike Pentecost, but it was just really, really good. And we talked about the differences between turkey hunting, you know, back when he first got started and sort of how things have changed over the years but yeah dylan is filming and editing and doing all kinds of stuff with uh, the woodhaven crew this time of year but i was able to catch them before they head out for florida they should have actually already been in florida but because of a couple of scheduling issues they're still in alabama waiting to head out i think they're going to head out like uh, possibly even this evening while i'm recording this they may be on the road we actually bumped up our recording time so that it didn't interfere with their travel but anyway was great for Dylan to jump on the show. In this episode, we talk about him growing up in the outdoors, sort of growing up with that Wisconsin gun deer hunting tradition, 
when he shifted or how he shifted into bow hunting for whitetails, the transition he made into the outdoor industry and what that was like working with the THP crew for a while and then shifting over into Woodhaven and everything that he's doing now. If you're not already, please do go and follow Dylan Hazen on Instagram. You can also find his YouTube channel called In Season. So this is a great conversation. I'm not really going to belabor the intro here, running a little bit behind. Need to get this thing uploaded tonight, actually. So uh, yeah, just want to say thanks to our partners. First up, Tacticam. Uh, filming your hunts is one of the things that we talk about in this episode. One of the things I wanted to talk with Dylan about because, man, he's had a lot of opportunities to film a lot of other guys, you know, beginning with the THP crew and now with Woodhaven. He's got a lot of experience filming hunts. So I kind of picked his brain about that. And one of the things that you're going to hear him mention in this uh, in this podcast is kick it off if you're looking to film your hunts, especially your turkey hunts. Just start with something simple. And I think Tacticam is a great product for that. Right now, their 6.0 is their uh, sort of their flagship model of the camera. It gives you 4K, 60 frame per second footage. Uh, it's waterproof. It's got an LCD touchscreen, all the good stuff to help you share your hunts with your friends or your loved ones, or even upload them to YouTube if that's what you want to do. They've also got their Solo Extreme camera, which gets you, you know, one touch operation, gets you HD footage. Uh, it's waterproof also, has all kinds of awesome mounts and adapters for basically whatever you could want to do with this camera, except it's a little bit more of a budget-friendly option. So if you want to learn more, head over to Tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth. They're making awesome camo without the sticker shock. If you've not checked out the Huntworth lineup, you need to head over to their website, Huntworthgear.com. Here for turkey season, I'm going to be rocking their tarnin pattern. I highly recommend their early season gear for deer to be used in the turkey woods. That's going to be my plan, uh, at least here in Georgia, when we kick things off. I don't know about Wisconsin. I'm going to be up for period A, and I'll probably be in the Elkins pants and jacket and maybe even breaking out the Saskatoon vest just to try to stay warm. It's going to be, I imagine, probably pretty chilly for the opener there in Wisconsin. But for later on in the season, highly recommend their lightweight stuff. And like I've said a bunch of times before, that tarnin pattern is going to do well pretty much wherever you are. It's it's a very open pattern. It has lots of light portions in it, so it's going to help you blend in in a diverse array of backgrounds. So go check them out, huntworthgear.com. Now with that out of the way, let's jump into the conversation with Dylan Hazen. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Dylan Hazen. Dylan, what's going on, man? Not much. Getting a little break from editing right now. I'm down in Alabama with Woodhaven, so uh, it's always nice to kind of not have to stare at the computer screen. <laughs> yeah. So, what but, are you? Uh, what are you editing right now? Um, just doing a bunch of stuff for social media. Um, I'm working on a hunt from last year. That's kind of our last. Uh, you know, end of the year turkey hunts don't do really well going into June, July. So we kind of save that and try to put it up before the season goes. So think our last it'll be our last video until the spring content starts for this year okay very cool man well uh why don't you give us a little bit of background about you kind of as we kick off here uh, i got a chance to meet you last year when i stopped by the woodhaven shop there in alabama we were visiting family right down the road and so i reached out to mike and was like hey i'm gonna be down the road will you record a podcast with me and he was like yeah sure and <laughs> when i showed up you guys were coming out of the turkey woods i was like oh man i didn't know it was gonna be like that so, uh, but it was, it was a fun interview. We had a great time. You and a buddy of Mike's sat there and kind of made fun of him the whole time in the background, which was awesome. Uh, yep. and then I could just see it on the other guy's face. He was like itching to go hunting again. And Mike mm -hmm. was just going and we were just yep. talking. 
yeah. and I could tell the guy was like ready to go. So I was like, I felt bad, but I was like, man, I, I don't know. Mike doesn't seem to be in too much of a hurry. No, he, uh, he's, he's a interesting guy. I always tell people like, you just got to meet him. Cause there's like nobody else out there. Like Mike Pentecost, you know? And, uh, but yeah, you get him on a roll and you get him going and it's hard to get him off that train, you know, that yeah. he's on. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. That's right. So tell us about yourself and maybe, uh, give us a brief intro, you know, as how you kind of got into hunting and, uh, how you got to where you are today, because man, it's been a, it's been a long road, but it's been cool because, you know, from the outside looking in, a lot of viewers have gotten to kind of watch your progression over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I guess when my introduction to hunting, I grew up in a pretty hunting rich family. Um, my grandpa is probably my biggest influence in, in hunting, fishing, that kind of thing. His dad, my great grandpa was a game warden. Um, I think when he got back from, he served in world war two. And I think a lot of those vets got hired like that. If I'm saying that right. And then he turtle trapped, squirrel hunted, deer hunted, did pretty much anything you can think of ginseng when he was growing up and, I think that would have been pretty cool because I think back then they could just go and knock on the door and go wherever they wanted to go, you know. But so growing up, uh, being from Wisconsin, there's a pretty rich uh, gun season tradition. And so I gun hunted a lot, uh, small game hunted with grandpa all the time. We catfished, uh, turkey hunted with dad, stuff like that. So a lot of family core values revolved around hunting and then – Nobody really bow hunted. I think my dad bow hunted a couple of years, but then I was born in his early twenties and he kind of gave it up just in with raising me. And I picked up his old bow in high school and wanted some way to basically be in the woods deer hunting more than just the nine day gun season, you know, and really, really liked it. I got injured a lot playing football when I was in school. I was a pretty small guy, but I was also pretty aggressive. And so I, I usually ended up hurting myself just hitting people, you know, not, not necessarily making a form tackle and like kind of letting them run into me. I was just like going out there and throwing my weight around. So I didn't get to start bow hunting until I think my senior year. Um, I just like dislocated my hip and my shoulders and stuff in the previous years. So I couldn't really bow hunt, but, um, yeah, so got started then. And then I guess bow hunting, um, ever since turkey hunting obviously and and uh, i still do the gun season tradition with my family every year for opening weekend and have a blast with that honestly if i had to you know gun to my head somebody said bow hunting or really any hunting or gun season with your family i would i would still choose gun season i think just because of the tradition with it but yeah. yeah um and then yeah it started filming i i saw the guys that are now THP on Midwest whitetail back when I was in middle school. And, um, you know, you all grew up watching like Waddell and those guys. And it really made me fall in love with hunting videos. And then everything kind of switched to the internet. You know, Midwest whitetail was one of the main first ones to do it. And I started watching bill really liked what they were doing. And then, you know, Warb and those guys and Greg kind of started making their name on the show. And I figured out that they were doing this internship program and that really caught my eye. I mean, I, I think I was like 13 when I found that and 
started watching them ever since. And then they did their public land stuff on the show. And then when I was in college, they switched to THP, started THP and still did their internship. And the first year that I applied for it, I think Ted and Logan got it. And then the next year Grant and I got in and then it's just been crazy ever since. Nice. Freaking Ted, man. Yeah. Yeah. I tell him, I give him crap all the time. And, and honestly, I probably to my detriment sometimes I'm a little competitive. And so for like a little while, I, I remember watching their videos that year and just being really jealous and being like this guy, man, I, you know, whatever. And then, as the season goes on, watching those guys, I started liking them a lot. And then I tell them that, or I told them that when I got my internship, it's like, man, I really used to not like you, even though I didn't know you at all. I just, <laughs> I was just, but that's uh, yeah. good. Yeah. Wasn't that, let's see, that first year, was that the year he shot that wide buck in Kentucky? He shot that Kentucky buck and then he shot that giant in, in Missouri. Missouri. And that was all his intern year. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And so I was watching that's that. That's nuts. That could be me right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think we've seen a lot of interns knocking down that many big ones since that. Dude, he he's something else. He he's a heck of a woodsman, you know. He's, yeah. he's a guy in the woods. So, yeah. so when did you? So I mean, obviously, you developed this interest in in filming hunts and like you know from what you're watching. When did you pick up the camera and decide to start carrying that along with you in the woods? So it was kind of one of those things that I always talked about and like wanted to do, you know, and then. Um, when I was in college, I got a job part-time at Cabela's and just trying to do whatever the heck I could do to get into the industry. And I was going to Stevens point in Wisconsin and it's known as being one of the best natural resources colleges in the country and mm-hmm. doing what I could to build a resume. Um, and then I applied for that internship and the only reason I didn't get it was cause I had zero video experience other than like, you know, doing stuff on my phone, like everybody else does. And I couldn't really afford a camera, so I bought. I went to a went to a BioLife plasma place and started donating plasma every month while I was in school to be able to afford a video camera. And then I also just lucky um, was looking through little college jobs that you could do. And the university was looking for a student that wanted to film sporting events. And nice. so I got a job doing that, filming like hockey, soccer, basketball, volleyball, stuff like that. And yeah, I bought my own camera. I bought a, it's like a Canon G40, um, like a thousand dollar consumer camcorder and made my own YouTube channels when I was in college, like deer hunting and ice fishing, I think was on there and a turkey hunt. And then yeah, the sporting events and applied for the internship the next year and got in. So, man, so you're like literally piecing out your body to get, to get this first camera, man, where would you tell somebody to start these days? I mean, I hear different advice all the time. Um, I'm partnered up with, with Tacticam, which is, you know, the little sort of point of view Mm -hmm. cameras you can attach to your weapon. There's all sorts of ways to get started. You can use a Tacticam, you can use your cell phone, you can buy a cheap handy cam. I mean, at this point you can buy some pretty good cameras that you know 10 years ago would have been excellent cameras now you can get them right. for pretty cheap used online where would you recommend somebody starting so honestly these days um in my opinion if you're looking at a lot of algorithm stuff like if you're trying to start out on youtube or making like full-length videos it might be a little difficult 
uh, just with, you know, there's a lot of brands, established brands, a lot of people on YouTube trying to do the same. And you can definitely make it work. Don't let me discourage you from that. But if I was starting out right now, I honestly would do just like maybe a 360 camera. I know like Insta 360 or GoPro, they make some, or honestly just like a regular GoPro. And um, you can do so much with your phone now with vertical videos. So Instagram reels, TikToks, uh, YouTube shorts is a new big thing that everyone's trying to figure out right now. And um, like the thing with Instagram, TikTok, it's hard to make money off that. If you're wanting to do this as a job, YouTube just in January started putting, I think it's like half of their creator funds going towards shorts. Oh, and no kidding. Cause they're trying to compete with TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff, you know, by basically paying them, paying the creators way more than TikTok does. And so if you find a way to get on that and just make some short little cool videos off your phone, I think that's a heck of a way to start. And it's way easier than, you know, making these full length big videos where you got to spend a little bit more money. You can still do it. I think if I was to do it, I would still go like the GoPro route. And then I would maybe just get like a cheap 4k camcorder that you can put a controller on and I would do that route. I think, I think that would be the, the way I would do it. Yeah. How important do you think the 4k piece is if people are grabbing handy cams? Cause what I see right now, you know, there's tons of the, like the generation right before the 4k, a lot of those HDMI mm-hmm. cameras, you can get those mm-hmm. online right now for really cheap for, you know, yep. cameras with pretty good optical zoom, the kind of stuff. Um, yep. you know, how big is that 4k? if folks are hoping to put it on YouTube and that kind of thing? I mean, it's, it's not completely necessary. The thing that I like about it is if you've got a 4k camcorder and you're editing on a, I don't know if this is going to sound too, uh, whatever, but so you can choose how you want to edit your videos. If you're wanting to export it in 1080 or if you're wanting to export it in 4k. So if I'm exporting something in 1080, Um, when I'm editing that, if it's in 4k, I can crop it way in and not lose that resolution. So like for myself, if I'm self filming, I'm going to do it in 4k and like, let's say I've got a deer walking in front of me or turkey walking in front of me, you can leave it cropped way out. And as you're editing that, you can zoom it way in to make it look like you were really tight on that animal. As long as it's in focus, you can zoom put in like 200% and not really lose any quality outfit. And so it's, it's super handy for somebody that's self filming. Like I said, not completely necessary. I started off with a 1080 camcorder, so um, you can definitely do it. It just, it helps a lot if you can afford it. Yeah. So a lot better for, um, for the guy who's self filming, especially because of that ability to stay panned way out that way you don't, you know, especially if you're, I mean, I don't know. I, I've done a lot of self-filming when it comes to, to turkey hunts, and I feel like that's a little bit easier than deer hunting um, mm-hmm. because I typically, for the turkeys, you know, I'm, if I'm filming, I probably have a decoy, and I kind of yep. have an idea of a spot where they're going to come to. Right. With a deer, it's kind of like, uh, all bets are off. Like, <laughs> I'm, yep. I'm panned out, and I, I hope the deer's in the frame when I when I hit the release. For sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel that 100%. And like I said, it'll just make your life a lot easier. And you hear so many guys talk about, you know, self-filming. And, I mean, myself, I had a few hunts this year that got messed up because I was self 
film it on box, but I can't tell you how, like, if you're trying to get it at a, at a good quality level, just being able to stay panned out and not have to sit there and be anchored on your camera, you know, you can focus on the actual hunting part and not trying to keep the deer in the frame the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so let's let's jump into kind of that transition from viewer into uh, participant, camera guy, hunter with yeah. THP. I, I mean, to, to throw out a question like "What'd you learn?" would be way too much. <laughs> I mean, you spent you got with them. What was it like July that year? August that year? Yeah, I moved in in July, and then I stayed all the way through uh, into like mid February. Okay. It was, it was actually like right before COVID hit because I wanted to go to, like we went to ATA, the NWTF show. I went to the Iowa Deer Classic and then we were getting re- getting ready to go to the, some Minnesota sports show and COVID hit and canceled that. And then I was, I pretty much left after that and came down with Mike. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's talk then. Maybe, maybe just give us some of the, the, the highlights, right? Like what's something that was that was unexpected or maybe a top lesson kind of thing. Let's start with that unexpected piece because I, I think as you know, for young guys listening or somebody who's like, Hey, I'd love to jump into the hunting industry. Um, you know, I know personally I've learned a lot jumping in over the last year. Um, lots of surprises <laughs> and mm-hmm. some, some great, some, yeah. some really, really bad. Uh, what was maybe yeah. the biggest thing that surprised you when you sort of, got a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Honestly, like I said, I grew up watching YL and then Bill and THP. I think the biggest thing that surprised me is just how like these guys are just normal dudes, you know? Yeah. And you see videos and, and you know that like you watching them and you're like, okay, these guys are just like me and my buddies, you know, but when you get there, they really are just, normal guys that just love to hunt and fish and make videos. And, um, that's really, I mean, this whole, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, the aura of Mike being the public land turkey hunter, even like with him, you'd see him on videos and think, wow, you know, that guy's pretty intense, pretty big guy out there. And then you get here and he's just a normal guy. He's got kids, got a wife, got a family, got a business, you know, and so I'd say that's probably the biggest thing I learned during my internship because you meet so many different people in the industry. And um, it's it's crazy that transition of kind of being starstruck to then just being like friends with everybody and just it's just kind of one big family the industry is. So Yeah. yeah. So yep. let, let's boil it down maybe to a couple of lessons that you picked up in that first, in that fall with, with THP. You okay. know, are, are there any big aha moments or anything that like really changed the way that you hunt forever? Like, like just totally shifted your entire approach for sure. So obviously you learn the, you know, the woodsmanship skills get better. Um, I would say the biggest thing that I learned is I hear guys all the time talk about like, God, I always want to go hunt here. I always want to go hunt there, whether it's like going out elk hunting or just out of state deer turkey hunting how easy it is to literally just jump in your car and drive to a different state and start hunting and get a tag. I mean, (laughs) yeah, you can, 
you can seriously, like, if you want to do it bad enough, there's a lot of guys out there, don't get me wrong, that have so many ties with, you know, family and kids and, and obligations and stuff like that. But if you really just want to go hunt somewhere else, you can take, you know, you got a weekend, you take Thursday, Friday, Monday off. You get done with work on the day before you're supposed to leave. If you drive there overnight, catch a few hours of sleep, get up, go hunting. And then make sure you get home in time to maybe spend time with your significant other or somebody to make sure they're not too mad at you before you just go grind at work the rest of the week. But it's, uh, it's, it's honestly changed my perspective a lot on traveling and, and just the different opportunities that are out there to hunt that aren't just right out your back door, you know? And I think by me traveling and hunting all these different spaces, it's definitely improved my hunting back home too. You know, so there's so many different lessons that you learn while doing that stuff that you can relate to situations that are around the house that maybe you're going to hunt a lot more often than just doing these trips. Yeah. Yeah, man, that that that's something in the last couple of years that I've done more of is is just jetting off and going somewhere to hunt for, you know, a, a few days at a time. Um, this last November was kind of the biggest one. I took 15 days, I think it was. And yep. ended up taking a great buck. And it was, you know, for, for me, it was the realization of taking time like that and going to a place maybe you haven't done a lot of scouting, picking it apart. And it just seems so out of reach when mm. when you're not doing it. It seems like a like fantasy, right? right? But it's really not that far out of out of reach for folks. What about when it comes to the hunting strategy side? Like anything changed as far as like just how you approach you know, specifically deer hunting, uh, that was different from maybe what you grew up doing? Yeah, I would say, um, I'm a lot more aggressive when I go into spots now at just like looking at sign and, and trying to relate, you know, where things are coming from. Like I probably one of my biggest downfalls, I like overthink stuff. And so when I go in the woods, like I am, I'm not really happy on making a setup unless I've got like some for sure sign, whether, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a big blazing sign, but just something that really keys me up to where I'm confident and where, you know, before that internship, I may have bounced around edges a little bit or, you know, not been necessarily confident enough to want to deep dive into something. Now I don't really have that. I mean, I, I would rather set up where I think I'm really close to spooking a deer than to be way back on the edge and wonder, like, is he getting here in daylight? You know, that's yeah. probably a huge, a huge difference in what I do now. Yeah. It sounds like you, uh, like a, a lot of folks, I think over the last couple of years that have watched THP or, or just decided to be more mobile and more aggressive. sounds like you stopped settling, like stop, you yeah. know, yeah, for sure. And I definitely like before, so I hunted, I got into public land when I was in college and I would fall into that rut of like having these couple spots that I really, really liked anymore. If I hunt a spot more than a few times, it's like, I just get with it. And I, I honestly don't think that you have a lot of success doing that. Like I can think of so many times where my first spot or, you know, you hear this all the time. So I'm just kind of beating a dead horse, but like your first time in a spot is always, always usually your best, especially if you've hunted it like a year past and you kind of know 
what's moved or how they move through that area and you can set up that way. Um, I've gotten to now like this spring before I got down here to Mike, I think I walked like 40 or 50 miles just trying to learn some new properties and make sure the properties that I have already hunted, I wanted to learn to like the best of my ability. So when I'm going into an area, if I see some sign, I know exactly what's going on. I can get into spots that I need to get into and be really confident that, you know, what I'm doing is going to work. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I used to be really guilty as a kid or just even as a young adult of, of finding spots that, like you said, I, I just like the spot. You know, I, I can, I can mm-hmm. maybe envision a deer doing something here or envision deer using it this way. And yep. like looking back, it's like there was, there was no sign or like very little sign yep. or like, you know, basically yep. what I was doing is finding a pretty place to go and, yep. <laughs> and, yep. and then creating with my imagination you know, deer yep. traffic and deer activity because it looks great. They have to use this, right? Yep. Like, yep. For sure. The one that there's that. And then there's also the, you know, it's your first time in a spot and you end up having a great sit, whether you see a lot of deer, or you see a nice buck or whatever. And then you're like drawn to that. Cause you're like, Oh gosh, you know, I had such a good experience here once and you want to keep going back. Yeah. It, it just, it always ends up. It seems like you just kind of burn up a spot pretty quick, especially on public. So yeah. Yeah. And you still do, a, I mean, so you wrapped up the, the internship with THP, obviously February of that year. Um, yep. you still do a fair bit of hunting on public, huh? Uh, yeah, most of it. So my dad owns 30 acres and up to my uncle owns like 50 right next to it. And if I really want to, I can, I can definitely ask my uncle and, go pretty much where I want to go on that piece, but, um, I'll run a camera or two on my dad's little 30 acres. If there's a really good one there, I'll put some time in, but usually I kind of just try to leave it alone for gun season so that we've got as good of a opening weekend as we can have, you know? And for some reason, I just really like being able to bounce around on public and not be tied to one certain property. I really like it. I really like learning new areas and, and being able to chase a whole bunch of different deer all over the place. You know, if I hunt that 30 acres and I'm really focused on this one, two bucks, I feel like I fall back into that, you know, kind of wanting to bounce around the edges and not be as aggressive as I want to be. Whereas if I'm on public land, not that I'm like trying to blow anything up, but I'm definitely a lot more aggressive with the way I approach things there. And it's the way I like to hunt more. So it's yeah. just kind of works out that way. Yeah, man. I, I feel that I, I just joined a lease this year. Um, it's a big lease. It's like 2000 acres, but there's a lot of guys okay. on the lease, like a lot of guys on the lease. And I joined it really to yep. have a good place to take my kids, like a nice safe yep. place. But like immediately after joining the lease, I started feeling like claustrophobic. Like, what am I going to mm-hmm. do? Like, I, I don't, you know, it's only 2000 acres. What do you do? You got four or five guys here. And th- then what, you know, and like start panicking. Yeah. So, um, yep. but yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that. So the, the transition then, I mean, you, you got done at THP and really quickly we're, we're filming with Mike and, and Woodhaven. So yeah. tell me about how that, that transition happened. I mean, for folks listening, if you don't know, like the hunting and outdoor industry seems gigantic from the outside looking in and then you get in and you're like oh this is really small like Mm -hmm. everyone knows everybody 
Uh, yep. So I'm curious kind of how you made that, that shift and, and made it so quick. Cause man, that, that's awesome to go straight from a, straight from an internship to man, I, I landed a job. Yeah. Um, a lot of credit to Warb with it. Um, Aaron, well, all the guys at THP, but Aaron is super, super helpful. And, uh, with the interns that he has, obviously it's an unpaid internship they catch a little bit of flack for that, but that's how they all got into the industry. And yep. they, they really think that they're getting the best guys that they can get. Because if you're, if you're going to put in that amount of effort to go into like an unpaid internship, you obviously really want it. And so they're kind of, they're, payback is obviously all the stuff that you learn, but they also try so hard to find their interns a job. So, um, Woodhaven, I think had kind of reached out to THP and they were wanting to maybe collab with some stuff. And Warb was like, well, Hey, I got this guy who's pretty good. I think maybe you guys could just hire him and do this for you. Cause I think Woodhaven was wanting to do THP be a contract to have some of those guys come down and film some stuff for them. And Warb was like, why don't you just take this intern that we have that did a good job and have him come down and do some stuff for you. And, um, that's pretty much the way it ended up. But we were at the deer classic and I didn't want to leave. Um, I wanted to stay there as long as I could. And Warb was like, dude, you can stay as long as you want, but at some point, like you need to, you need to make some money and you need to, you know, make your own, your own way in the industry and start branching out a little bit. And so he kind of pushed me, um, obviously COVID was just getting going. So I had like no idea how anything was going to get run in the country. It was a really weird time. And, uh, my grandma, my step grandpa just passed away right as I got done with my internship. And so, um, I was staying with my grandma at her house just to keep her company. You know, she couldn't go out and spend time with friends to keep her mind off things. So I was there. Didn't really want to leave. And Ward was like, dude, you just, so I packed up my car and drove 14 hours down to Mike's house, moved in with him and his family. And that, it just kind of took off. I don't, it's, it's crazy. It was like, I got a big tour of everything for a few days. He kind of let me get acclimated. And then it was like, boom, we're in the woods. We're off and going. And it's, it just happened so fast, man. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. And he does a lot of public land turkey hunting. Um, so For sure. wasn't totally different. So I'm curious to hear some of the, the differences between um, – you know, what you witnessed, obviously deer hunting with, with THP, 
but what you know of the guys and their hunting style and also what you've seen, I mean, I'm sure you've watched their turkey videos a time or two. And so, yeah. you know, going from their hunting style and woodsmanship skills and kind of their way of approaching things to hunting with Mike, yep. who, yeah, he's been around a lot of places, but he's also hunted some areas for a long, long time. Uh, not to yeah. age, not to age Mike or anything, but just saying, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he knows he's familiar with some areas. We'll put it that way. He's familiar with some areas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, so what, what's that been like? So if you can, if you can find some guy that's like in your area that know whether you're hunting or fishing, that knows that place, like the back of his hand attached to that guy. Cause you're going to learn so much. And that's how it is with Mike. I mean, he still lives in the same town that he grew up in. And yes, he's traveled all over and shot turkeys all. I mean, he shot turkeys in Mexico. He's done his grand slam, you know, that's a Royal slam, but he, um, knows where he lives as well. And it's, it's honestly some of the toughest Turkey hunting that I've ever experienced as far as public land, you know, the, the woods here on opening weekend is like for Turkey season is like the woods back home for season. Yep. Um, he, I would say if I wanted to compare contrast Mike and THP, he's a little bit more patient with some of the stuff that he likes to do. Um, and I think that just is from him knowing the area so well, and he's so he does and in his knowledge that he has. So like, you know, Turkey quits gobbling or maybe he's hanging up, he is content to just kick his feet back and sit against that tree and wait for that turkey to make the mistake versus, you know, maybe getting up and going after him or bailing out and trying to go find a different bird. Like, he will literally, and it used to kind of take me off a little bit. We'd sit there, and I would think, like, man, we got to just, we got to move, we got to do something, and he's just like, just relax. We're going to sit here, and we're going to wait for him to make a mistake, and we'll just be sitting there, you know, maybe I'll be, responding to stuff on Instagram on my phone or we're just sitting there having a conversation or whatever and a crow will go off and you'll hear him off in the distance and we just pick up and go after him and end up killing him just because we were being patient and yeah that's patience is probably the biggest thing that Mike has taught woodsmanship and patience yeah that's that's really interesting because um you know, and I don't know about some of the places that the, you know, the THP guys have hunted turkeys, but Mike hunts in a place that is heavily, heavily pressured, like yeah. lots yes. of guys. It is, it is not, it would not be my first choice uh, right. for, for turkey hunting. Um, right. You know, there, there's better hunting to be had, <laughs> even not too far from, from Mike. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and so that, that patience piece, and, and I guess that's just something he's learned over the years with. Um, you know, and another thing too, there's not necessarily a huge population of turkeys either where he's at. So, right. You know, you've got a goblin bird or you've got a bird that you had gobbling earlier and he shuts up. Well, the odds of you striking another one by hopping a ridge or two is not the same as if you're hunting in Wisconsin, you know, it's right there. You have a, uh, they're very small chance that you're going to strike one up anyway. So you might as well hang with the one you got until he decides to talk again. Right. And he, like I said, he just knows, like, you you know, you'll hear the bird, whatever he's doing all morning. Like, usually what we'll do is we'll get up high in these mountains and you'll hear one off in a distance and we'll kind of 
cut after him and try to keep the train in our advantage. And like I said, if he hangs up or he's doing something and not fired up committing, we'll just kind of get high and be right around that Turkey's area. And Michael just know like, okay, they're, he's probably got a few hens. He's down in this creek bottom. They're going to work around in this area for a little while. And then if he loses those hens or he breeds them and they go off to nest, you know, he's probably going to get up high over here and going to gobble at some point here in the next few hours. And if he does that, we're going to kill him. And there's been, I, I can't tell you how many times he's literally spelled out exactly what's going to happen. And then it, and then it ends up happening. It's crazy, <laughs> man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when it, uh, okay. Patience is, is huge there and knowledge of the area, past experience with yep. the area. What does, yep. what does like scouting and that kind of thing look like? Or are you guys mostly relying on, you know, his past experience with the property? Um, I would say if we're not on birds, like one of the things that we've been doing right now is driving around, um, in the morning and listening. So he definitely puts a lot of time into getting an inventory, you know, before season starts. If, I mean, and anybody can do this. If you've got a job, just go out for a little bit right before work, step out of your car and just listen. And he finds where birds are roosting, where there's times in the area every year. And so, you know, like if we're on a couple toms that either get shot or we can't just get on them, we'll bounce around and start scouting in those areas that he knew there were other birds in and just look for scratching, you know, dropping stuff like that and, and be able to work and say, okay, they're obviously spending a lot of time here. Those birds are still in this area. And that's the way we get on a lot of turkeys is just knowing that they're there and then going in and finding where they've been at midday. And, uh, yeah, a lot of midday scouting, I guess, would okay. is what we get on. How much uh, how much roosting in the evening are you doing? Because I know, like for me, um, hunting where I do in southern Wisconsin, like it is huge for me to roost a bird the night before. If I yep. ro- if I roost a bird the night before on certain properties, like there's a really good chance he's not making it out in the morning. It's yep. not quite the same way in the south. I mean, I'm in Georgia right now, and it. It's it's not quite the same way here. Uh, a little bit a mm. little bit different. How, but how yep. often are you guys relying on roosting in the evening? And how big is that playing into your hunting strategy? Honestly, not much. Um, the couple times that we've roosted a bird here at night, I can say that we've like definitely had an opportunity at him the next morning. Okay. But I hate when people say that whole like, oh, they don't do that stuff here. Yeah. Because it, it usually is just they do, you know. But it's truly, um, I know like back home in Wisconsin or Iowa, uh, Minnesota, they will definitely gobble on the roost at night. It's not very often that birds down here will gobble on the roost at night for whatever reason. Uh, it seems like if we get one to do it, he's definitely fired up the next morning. And I don't know if that's just like they're alone and not really having the hands around them that much. So they're a little bit more ready to go. Um but most of our stuff, most of the birds that we get on, uh, is just getting up high and hearing them from a distance in the mornings. And honestly, if we're having a tough time getting on birds, we would much rather like he'll drop me off at, you know, a mile down the road and he'll drive down to another pull off and we'll both get up high and communicate, you know, just sit there for 30 minutes to an hour and, 
and then come back and reconvene and figure out what we're going to do. He is not, that, that's another thing I've learned. He's not worried at all about trying to get right up underneath one right away in the morning. Like he's as confident mm. at killing one at noon as he is within the first 30 minutes to an hour. So that, that morning time on weather on the roost is super crucial to us. Yeah. 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 Man, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about turkeys, not goblin as well. Um, on the roost in the evenings down south because that's that is definitely a true a, a true thing. There are lots of things that we as hunters throw around of like, well, they don't do that here, they don't do that here. Deer don't bed yep. like that here. Things don't eat that yep. here. Whatever. That's one of the true ones. Uh, yep. For some reason in the south, birds do not seem to gobble um, on the roost in the evenings. And and I've heard now you, I've heard you say that. I've heard uh, Dave Owens say that. I've heard you know lots of people who hunt turkeys say well. Yeah, even the THP guys have said, like, down here in the south, yeah. you can't you can't bank on that, you know, evening roost gobbling. Whereas it seems uh, in Wisconsin, you're at least going to get a couple out of them, right? You know, right. And and the thing is with Mike too, he's got a business family. Like, you know, the kids play sports. He's got calls to make. He's got a business to run. With me, you know, I've got editing to do, and so. Well, a lot of our and, and how this kind of can relate to a lot of people, you gotta you gotta brand cows while your iron is hot. So you gotta do the things that are gonna be most productive yep. in that time. So yep. like if we got stuff to do, we would much rather hunt all morning and then get back to the shop or get back to where I can edit at noon and sit there and do that for the rest of the day till we go to bed and then get up and go when it's good in the morning versus you know, we've got stuff to do, but we're going to go roost and probably not hear one. It's just not very efficient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, let's go uh, Let's go try to roost some birds. We're not going to hear anything, but, you know, let's just go right. do it. It'll be fun. Yeah. We've got all this stuff to do, but why don't we, you know, go do this and put that stuff off so that, you know, like, <laughs> been a couple times that I've done that and then I ended up staying up editing and maybe catch 30 minutes of sleep because, yeah. you know, just did something stupid like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So what does, uh, what does this time of year look like for you? I mean, is this the calm before the storm at all? Or are you guys just like full bore getting after it? Um, for the company itself, they are full bore and they've been full bore for a little while. Cause yep. you know, they're, they're on the production side. So they've got to have everything ready to go before season starts. Yep. For me, I'm really starting to pick up right now, but it is, it, you know, it's, it is kind of that calm before the storm. Um, I would say from whenever we get to Florida until the end of May, it's going to be go, go, go. And, um, so yeah, it's Mike, Mike kind of gets the double whammy, you know, cause he's doing the business and he's in front of the camera having to hunt and do the video side of things. So he's been going, going and going, and he's going to keep going and going and going for a while till summertime. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, little interesting dynamic yeah and how long do you hang out with the the woodhaven crew i mean you get down here obviously in march and then yep. you know what's that look like how long do you stay um the first two years that i came down here and videoed for these guys i was down here uh you know about this time and then i stayed until we would go and hunt in maine and that goes so usually like kind of into that first week of june yep and so we would do that hunt and then get back to Alabama and get my car and drive home. And that'd kind of be the end of it. Uh, the last year and this year kind of 
just said like, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd like a week or two a month to go hunt somewhere myself, you know, and, and get a little time to do my own thing. Just get a little bit of a detox. And there wasn't, uh, like the first two years I was down here, we were pushing so hard and had so much work to do that the only time I had a gun in my hand was that last day that we were in Maine. And I got super, super fortunate to kill a bird both of those times. But, um, it kind of got to the point where I was just like, man, I was in the industry cause I wanted to hunt more <laughs> and while, you know, while I'm filming and I'm super grateful to be doing what I'm doing, like I still every day would rather have a gun than a camera in my hands. So, yes. you know, I, I've kind of allotted a little bit more time to be able to hunt myself now. So I'll be down here for like two, three weeks and then I'll go home or like I'm planning on maybe going to Missouri or something like that this year. Um, so I've got a few other things. I've got a volunteer, like learn to hunt thing I'm doing at home where I'm taking a few people that don't have a lot of experience hunting. So there's a few other throughout the season, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot down here yeah. for sure. Do you have any tags there in Wisconsin already? Or are you waiting on the, uh, waiting on the over the counter stuff? No, I drew third season. This is the first year that I've put in for the draw since I was in college because, I, you know, knew I was going to be down here so much. I wouldn't catch early season at home, but yep. I put in for first with my second option being second season. And then they gave that like, okay, if you don't draw any of those, would, what else would you like? And I put third season and of course I got third season, but oh, <laughs> so man. I've got, yeah. And that doesn't start until I think it's the first week of May. Yep. And so, I'm kind of looking at maybe early season Minnesota or Missouri or Nebraska just to get some time in, you know, I'd like to be able to hunt in April. So that'll be a, that'll be a big thing where I go. Merriam hunt, or like I said, uh, Missouri, I've got a spot down there. That's pretty good too. So we'll see. Yeah. I've got, I've got period a in Wisconsin. Luckily. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty pumped. (laughs) Um, I've I've talked to a lot of people though. I mean, obviously the Wisconsin sportsman podcast, like I talked to a lot of folks from Wisconsin who hunt turkeys and a lot of people put in for that first season, but they kind of just do it begrudgingly. They're like, eh, the weather's probably going to be garbage. Turkeys don't respond really well to calls that time of year. They're all hinned up or flocked up. Um, and those things can be true, but man, I love hunting period a to watch how they just turn inside out for a decoy. Yeah, that time. Like to to me, I I know I'm probably not going to call one in like in a traditional kind of hunt, you know, Uh, but I do know if I put a decoy out there, they're going to break their necks trying to get to it. Yeah, Yeah. it's uh, it's definitely different up there. You know, down here, it's like weather's in the 70s, 80s in turkey season. You know, it's like up there you can get where it's I think a few years ago it was in the teens on the first day of of opening season. So it's a little different. I, when I was back home through high school and college, I always put in for that second season time just because of that. But it seems like the seasons are later now than what they used to be by like a week or two. They bumped them back. uh, I think like eight years ago, something like that. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, it's kind of like now you're hunting that first season. It's, it's like what second or third used to be. And so that's why I started, you know, this year I put in for first season because I was, you know, I'm like, okay, let's bump back a little bit. I want to hunt as early as possible. And then 
maybe have time in May to go somewhere else, or, you know, obviously you're going to get a fourth or fifth or sixth season tag at least. So just kind of break it up a little bit, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I'm a little salty about that at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) What does, um, you mentioned Minnesota. Have you hunted Minnesota? Yeah, I've hunted it one time. Um, it's like an hour from my house. So it was super easy to just go up there and, and get after it a lot more pressure than what I was expecting. But I think it's because Minnesota opens up so early compared to Wisconsin. Yeah. Most of the guys that I was seeing in Minnesota were from Wisconsin. Oh, were they? And okay. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And it was, um, it's probably the only like Northern state hunt that I've done where it's like, I'm getting there at 2am and sleeping in my car to get my spot. No kidding. Yeah, and it, it's kind of my fault. I think if I would have gone deeper into the state, it wouldn't have been so bad. But I was wanting to stick a little bit closer to home. I had some stuff going on at home that um, I didn't want to be crazy far away, you know. Uh, but if I think if I would have gotten further into the state, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah, yeah. Is it um, – it, they've got some kind of a lottery system, but then I think you can also get some over the counter. How Do, do you know how theirs works? Yeah, so their seasons are set up a lot like ours. Um, the only real lottery things that they have that I know of, they have like certain WMAs that are okay. harder. Uh, but mo- like last year, I just went to the courthouse in that county and bought my tag and then went hunting, and that was in the first season. Um, and then Minnesota that I learned, sorry, in Minnesota you buy a tag for, I think they appeared like A through F or something like that. If you buy a tag in any of the like first seasons, if you don't fill that, you can go back in their last season and use your tag. And so, you know, if like for me, I had three or four days in that first season, to get it done, didn't get it done. I was able to go back there in the last season and still try to fill my tag. So that was pretty nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's that's been one of the things about Wisconsin. Like I personally, I didn't grow up with with this kind of season structure that Wisconsin has. And at first I thought I was like, this yep. is the craziest thing that I've ever seen. But now I, I really yep. appreciate it for what it does by spacing out the hunters. But I yep. do really wish, you know, I hunt zone two and those tags, man, get gobbled up quick. Um, and so yep. I, I really wish there was a little bit more of a chance. You know, if I've got a period A. Uh, if I don't make sure to go ahead and buy a period, you know, E and F, you know, typically there's like 20 to 40 period D's left over for, for zone twos. You're probably not going to get those, but, um, right. you know, typically there's an E and F left over that you can get. But if you don't buy those the day that they go on sale, there's a good chance you're not going to get another, another tag. Yeah, for sure. If you're fortunate enough to where you can maybe bop over to like zone one and three, I think those yep. usually have a lot of late season tags. They do. But period, or it was is tough, yeah. And I, honestly, you don't really know. Like you said, you grew up, you know, down here with a little different different structure. I grew up up there and just thought it was kind of the normal thing. And then when I come down here, it's I'm not really sure how I feel about. It. I'm not a biologist, so I don't want to speak on that. But to be honest, I I don't know if I really love it as sure. far as just like yeah, you're spacing out the pressure. But I still feel like through the first few seasons you know, you still have all the guys that have period one are rushing in there on that, you know, Saturday, Sunday. And I think if you 
had the whole season like down here the first two weeks it's crazy pressure yep late season we don't hardly see anybody but the hardcore guys yep and i think it would be the same way up by us like yeah the first few weekends might be a little rough but i don't know i i don't really know what the right answer to it is like i said but i'll just say that that knows the best thing to do but yeah well and- I, don't know. I don't i don't like it as i gives guys a hard time to you know you're kind of looking at it it's like how are we giving people a very good opportunity to spend time in the woods you know and if you only have one season i remember growing up like we'd be hunt four days out of the whole spring you know whereas if you had a structure like down here you could hunt multiple weekends in a spring and get you know five to ten days in and be fine you know yeah so yeah man so last year i was fortunate enough um I ended up hunting all six seasons, but it was yep. because of the way I strung it together with me or buddies or my kids or, yep. you know, I knew somebody with a tag so that even if I wasn't hunting, I was out there with a camera and I'm like, all right, here we go. Like at, at least I'm out here, you know? Um, but it was tough not being out there with a, with a gun in my hands. Yep. So, uh, yeah. man, I want to, I want to close with, with this, you know, Turkey season's right around the corner. Um, what you do for a living, obviously filming hunts and a lot of that kind of stuff, any tips or advice for a guy that's either, I think of two different guys. Number one, uh, the guy who says, Hey, I want to, I want to sell film. Um, and maybe it's just mm-hmm. for sharing the memories with, you know, kids and friends and that kind of stuff. Maybe it's not like, Hey, I want to start a YouTube channel. I just want to have memories to share. Yep. And then number two, yep. um, you know, tips for maybe taking good quality pictures. I hate when I see, like awful pictures of game animals. Um, and I've talked with others before about how yep. to get a good photo of your buck or your deer or whatever. Um, I see a lot of yep. stuff when it comes to turkeys. It's just like, dude, it, it you put like a jello head in this picture. It just doesn't look, doesn't look good, you know? So yep. uh, any, uh, any advice yep. for those who are filming or, or want to take good pictures of their kill? Um, the, the picture side of it, I would say your background and your lighting matters a lot. You know, like there's a lot of shadow things that can happen or really, you know, if it's in the morning or at, at night, if there's a cool, you know, sunrise, sunset, that can be some of the best pictures you'll ever get. But then, uh, yeah, cleaning up your animal too. Like you, in the moment, you're not really focused on it, but then you look back and you might kind of just like, yeah, you know, like, Oh yeah. And it, something looks really screwed up, but taking that time to be, you know, it, it's not like you're trying to be showy. It's just, you want to have a really awesome memory of that moment. And if you just take that time to maybe, you know, brush the feathers a little bit, make them look a little nice and and really set up what you're doing. And then, like I said, the background, one thing that annoys me a lot is I'll see guys that take pictures, whether it's with a Turkey or a deer where the background blends that animal together with it. So like, uh, like a buck, for example, if you're taking pictures with this buck right in front of like these hardwoods and the racks blending in with all the trees, mm-hmm. I hate that. Yeah. Or you know, turkeys, you can do that with a turkey too, or you've got like a darker background that kind of will blend in with the bird. Yep. Just get it out in front of something that's got a little bit of pop to it, whether it's the sky or, you know, some sort of background that, it, 
it really just shows the the animal more than than everything else around it. That's good. That's good. And then, I guess the the filming guys. Uh, I would say you're gonna have to learn to to really love the process of it. Um, you're gonna hate it a little bit, but I'll tell you, it'll get to a point where you'll go to the woods and you'll feel kind of naked without your camera, you know, and, uh, it's just one of those things where you see a lot of things on TV or on YouTube or whatever. And you're going to be like, man, I want to do that. And you're going to rush out there and it's going to be kind of a shock where you're like, man, this isn't, this isn't really as easy as I thought it was going to be, but just stick with it. And, and you'll learn to really love the process of it. And you'll learn the, that you can look back and enjoy those memories so much. Um, I don't know if that answers your question a lot, if you want anything yeah. about equipment, but I, I would say that's my biggest piece of advice is don't get discouraged with it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk real quick about maybe, you know, specific things that you try to capture. Like when you're trying to capture the totality of, of a Turkey hunt specifically, I mean, there are yep. different things you'll catch when you're, you know, doing a, um, doing a deer hunt. What yep. about specifically targeted for a Turkey hunt? Like what are those things that you're trying to catch to sort of, capture the whole story okay i i love the like morning as far as like getting ready and i really love that like standing there waiting for one to gobble or mm. if you're maybe you're one of those guys that likes to get close to one on the roost like i will seriously sit there and just let that camera run sometimes if i'm confident that like we're gonna hear one pretty quick and to me, there's nothing like if I think of turkey hunting, I think of standing there, woods are waking up, and then you're sitting there, and all of a sudden you just hear that first pound off, and it's just like that's the the spark that I think of when I'm turkey hunting. And so my biggest advice would be to really capture that time in the morning because I think that really sets the tone for everything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe that sun coming up in the background. I do a lot of that where sun peeks over the horizon and I've got, you know, Mike standing there. You can tell he's listening really intently and you got that sun behind him. It makes everything look really, really good. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest one. Yeah, man, that, that, uh, that first gobble of the morning is something I always like to get. And, uh, last yep. year I was out on a piece of public and, uh, I'd, I'd hunted this Turkey a couple of times, but I ended up getting permission on this private field because the Turkey was roosting on public like literally right on the public property line and then flying yep. down into a field and, and, and landing yep. in the morning, he'd strut around in the, in the private field, got permission on the private field. Yep. I know where he's roosting. I'm set up. I'm aiming the camera up into the trees. It's late. One of the later seasons is E or F. And so, you know, you couldn't see up into the trees, which would have been awesome because the moon was like behind it. And that would have been oh. freaking sweet if, if I could have got that. But uh, anyway, he starts gobbling, he's hammering and I'm sitting there with the camera angled on him. I'm like, dude, I'm going to catch this thing fly down out of the roost. Like what a cool, you know, video that's going to be. And mm-hmm. then, and then a gun goes off like two minutes after legal. Somebody shot that joker out of the tree. Really? They walked up, walked up underneath him from the public side and oh. shot him out of the tree. So I just hear a gunshot and then flapping on the ground. And I was like, No. No, oh, that, that is not, dude. Yeah, it, I was so bummed, yeah. and, and I I did a little. I actually did an episode about it because I was like, 
man, if that's your thing, whatever, you know, you want to shoot one out of a tree, that, uh, all right. Um, but dang it. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's public. I can't hate on somebody for doing something that, uh, right. you know, it, it's not my land, but at the end of the day, I sure wish he yeah. would have, I sure wish he would have missed and that turkey would have just flown <laughs> down into the field. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of opinions that you can have. Like you don't want to talk negatively about the way somebody does something, but there's a, yeah, that's definitely a hot topic thing that I don't know. Maybe I hold my opinion in a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we feel probably the same way about that. Yeah. It, you know, for me, it's, it's like, Hey, I, I can, I can say, I don't like the way you do something, but like mm-hmm. we can still be cool. You know what I mean? Like we don't, yeah. it doesn't have to become a thing. Like I can say, Hey, I wish you wouldn't shoot that Turkey out of a tree. Right. But if you do it, like, I'm not right. going to begrudge you. And if I run into you at the parking lot, you're like, Hey, I snuck in on this big Tom and shot him out of the tree. I'd be like, man, good, good job. Like you, you snuck in there on him. Like, well done. Nice bird. You know, need me to take right. a picture of you kind of thing, but, uh, yep. still not going to dig it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially I, if I, I'm set up on the bird, it probably would have been different if I wasn't set up on him. Yeah. Yeah. So. For sure. That the real shot to the chest there. Yeah, oh, dude, it was awful. It was so, it was just crushing. Like I, oh, I imagine you got that feeling in your stomach and everything. Oh, it was like, awful. Oh. It was awful. But I mean, to be honest, the turkey deserved it. He had gobbled probably 150 <laughs> times that morning. Oh, so it's yeah. like, it's like, it was going yeah. to happen. You know, yeah. he was just yeah. hammering. So yep. anyway, all right. Well, Dylan, man, this was super fun. Appreciate you coming on the show. Where can folks go if they want to see more for you from you and, and uh, keep up with you this spring? Um, so my Instagram page is Dylan Hay 30. It's just my full name. And then I created it when I was in high school. My number was number 30 in football. So it's just, that's what it's been. But, uh, yeah, I post a lot of stuff there. Um, I'm still posting content for Woodhaven, so you can check out their YouTube channel. And then I started my own YouTube channel called In Season. Um, and so I've, I've been posting a little bit on there too. So that's kind of the main stuff. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, look forward to seeing what all you put out this spring. Yes, sir. Appreciate having me. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.